Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the latest Bicycling Australia podcast powered by Zwift. Zwift is the fitness app where fun is fast. This podcast is a Tour de France special and shortly we're going to be speaking with five-time Tour de France rider Patrick Yonker and TDF analyst and specialist Anthony Tan. Anthony, of course, also writes Spin Cycle in each edition of Bicycling Australia magazine. Okay, so here we go. Um, it's wonderful to have Pat Yonker on the line in Adelaide and Anthony Tan, who I believe is in Sydney. How are you guys going? Yeah, great, thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Nat. I've had my second Pfizer jab. I've been tested and um, so far I haven't contracted anything, so um, it's all good. Wonderful stuff, Tan, man. Actually, talking about that, we've got something, um, a campaign we've started today on Bicycling Australia about a vaccine passport and just how that could be Australia's answer out because I don't know about you guys, but it just feels like Groundhog Day COVID-wise, what's changed in the last 12 months? It's a good idea because, you know, basically over, you know, if you're watching the tennis, very few people are wearing masks, so... I think the way that they're I'm talking about Wimbledon, that is, I think um, how it's going now is that if you've shown that, if you're proven that you've had your vaccinations, then I believe at some certain events you don't even need to socially distance. Um, mm. because, uh, I heard that the Pfizer vaccine gives you, you know, 88% protection, which is, well, that's pretty good in my estimates, and, uh, you know, you, I think you've got to move towards a stage where you you can, you know, there is some sense of normality rather than going through lockdown after lockdown. Mm. Even, Pat, events such as, well, our own classics cycling events, but, you know, such as the Tour Down Under, I know it's months off, but the way the governments are acting and doing nothing, basically, even events like that, you're just worried about, aren't you? Mm, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the next tour down under, in my opinion, will probably be 23 because, uh, yeah, like you just mentioned, the Australian government is doing the best they can. You don't want to criticise people from afar, but uh, it's going to take Australia a, a little, little longer than the rest of the world to uh, yeah, yeah. to get completely vaccinated. But to have a tour down under in January in, in a situation, we're in July now, uh, tomorrow's yeah. July, and uh, uh, it's just going to be too soon, really, yeah. to, to have anything uh, in place. But um, uh, for the least, hopefully the three of us can be at the Tour de France next year. That's, uh, exactly. that's the goal. 
I told Pat before, Anthony, I just heated up a croissant in the microwave and made a little dodgy home coffee. I just want to be in Paris. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hey, um, so talking about uh, France, of course, last night, let's start with Mark Cavendish. It took me back 10 years. Tan Man, tell us about what we saw with Cav last night. Well, first of all, I didn't expect him to be at the tour. Uh, and as he said himself, that was a massive achievement. And to and then when I saw him, that he was down on the list in replace of Sam Bennett, then I thought, well, he's, he's just there for publicity purposes. But I should have learned because every time you <laughs> – you think you can write Cav off, he comes back and wins big. And that's exactly what he's done. I think the only person who wasn't happy that Cav won was Nasser Buhani because obviously he finished second. And I thought he's, he's also sort of on the comeback trail. I, I think he won his last Grands Tour stage at the 2018 Vuelta. So, you know, he's been searching for a win for quite some time and he's never won a stage at the Tour. Mm. So, um, yeah, I would say everyone was happy for Cav except him. <laughs> yeah, I've got to just quickly say uh, I actually had the massive pleasure and fortune of a day in the Confidence team car a couple of years ago, and the number of times Buhani came up to the window and held on, to, and right there I was sitting like, I'm in the passenger seat going, oh, my goodness, this guy was just throwing the biggest tantrums and wobblies. I shouldn't bag him too much, but it's true. It is really true. So good on your cab, and sorry, Buhani, but, you know, maybe another time. <laughs> so that's a bit um, – I shouldn't really say that. Hey, Pat, Kevin, yeah. how amazing, isn't isn't it? Just a, a wonderful – Yeah, look, uh, Mark Cavendish uh, won his 31st stage win uh, last night, so 31 stage wins is, uh, is it's just incredible to believe a sprinter and uh, being able to achieve that. I always said – I never doubted that uh, – uh, Mark Cavendish is the greatest sprinter of all time. Uh, yeah. You can't compare him to anyone. Mario. Some people say, what about Mario Cipollini? I say he wouldn't come close to Cav. Cav, to me, is, is the greatest sprinter. Um, will he surpass Eddie Merckx's record of 34 stage wins at the Tour de France? I think a lot of cycling, um, hardcore cyclists like myself, um, believe let's keep Eddie Merckx untouched because you can't compare Eddie Merckx, the greatest of all time, to Mark Cavendish. Mm. And uh, will Mark win uh, another three stages to surpass Eddie Merckx? I, I doubt he will. Mm. So um, I, I think um, – I believe Mark could well win another stage, but how is he going to get through the mountains? Um, it's been a fairy tale. Let's, in short, it's a fairy tale. Interesting. It just reminds me of Mark Taylor retiring on Dodd Bradman's um, record um, total. So, you know, maybe maybe it'd be nice to see Cav close but not, not pass. Yes. Mm, yeah, I think most of us, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Pat. It's, I mean, he's, he's only a couple away. I mean, I just thought with Pale of You and Out, really the sprinting field is is pretty mm. open. I, I wouldn't, you know, I would say there's probably six or seven sprint opportunities at this year's tour. So, uh, I mean, yeah, after last night, I just feel that you can't, you can't say impo- you can't say impossible with mm, mm. yeah yeah that's true yeah you can never uh, 
Um, I, as is getting, you know, the age Cavendish is at the, at the moment, um, the mountain stages are Saturday and Sunday, this Saturday. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how Cav pulls through a five-hour mountain stage and um, when the dust settles and if he's still there, it's, it is probably a possibility to win a few more. You're right. That will be very interesting. He seems to be getting more gracious um, with age. I mean, he spent five minutes, or the, I read a report, he spent five minutes sitting there with Caleb before Cav actually went to cross, cross the line and finish the stage. Um, you know, mm. so he's obviously pretty caring and maybe a slightly different Cav than, than he's sort of seen over the past years. I, I would yeah. say that, yeah, that's that's. I would put down to being a product of fatherhood. That, that really has mellowed him. Uh, I think you're... If if you ask him the wrong question or in the wrong manner, you'll mm. still try and bite your head off in a press conference. But yeah, I, I think uh, Cavendish is. I won't say yeah. He's been to an extent misunderstood. I think he's always been quite a a genuine person. Uh, that's why I quite like him. And and. Uh, yeah, and he's yeah, like Pat was saying, you can't really compare. Say, I don't think it's really fair to compare Cavendish with Merckx. I think you probably it's better off comparing a sprinter with another sprinter. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do that, then he is head and shoulders above the rest. Whether he won another stage or not, even if he just competed at this year's tour and didn't win a stage, yeah, you have to say. I mean, 12, 18 months ago, you know, he was at some small race telling a Belgian reporter he probably thinks that that was the last time he was going to compete. So maybe I'm not sure whether he believed himself he could come back to the tour. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Um, And he does seem to be just sort of almost shocked that he's even there, let alone winning. Um, So the day before, stage three, you know, it's just so sickening to see Caleb sliding for just what seemed like an eternity, just sliding across bitumen. And um, we found out he's got a broken collarbone, pretty serious break. Um, Pat, will he be back for, you know, how long would he be out? Do you, think oh, you know, um, the, uh, just what I read on uh, Cycling News and, and other uh, news agencies, uh, um, you know, it's a clean break and I'll probably put plates on it. And uh, he could well be up and riding again in in, uh, in a week or two. And uh, hopefully we can see... Um, I mean, Caleb was never going to go to the Olympic Games, but um, we hope to see him in a tour of the World to España, Tour of Spain. Mm. Yeah, that was really unfortunate. You know, uh, Caleb admitted himself. He touched the wheel in front of him. He didn't blame anybody but himself. Uh, in the heat of the action, he could smell the victory and he pushes beyond the limits a lot of the time. And this time he came unstuck. And yeah, it's really unfortunate because this was going to be the tour where Caleb could have won multiple stages yet again. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat, how, how does it feel? I mean, it's horrible to even watch or think about, but sliding on bitumen and recovering yeah. or sleeping that night from with road rash. Just how, how is that on the body? Oh, look, um, in my first Tour de France, I also crashed after four days of racing. Uh, I don't think anyone who rides multiple Tour de France's gets through without touching the tarmac. 
And um, a lot of people have been asking me, say, look, you know, I rode the Tour de France in the 90s. Um, you had a lot of crashes in the 90s, but this year's Tour de France, it's been crazy. And uh, the riders uh, protested yesterday uh, just to get the message across. Mm-hmm. And I have to agree, I guess, with the riders that when you have 200 uh, uh, professional riders on very narrow roads, for the first three days of the Tour de France, you really, as an organiser, you really shouldn't be doing that. So I think the Tour de France organisers, the ASO and Christian Trudeau, the director, have probably learnt a lesson and they will not repeat this kind of thing in the future because it's a little bit irresponsible but i know because some people tell me there are brakes on the bikes and the the guys can break but they really are riding for sheep stations there's a there's a lot at stake Mm. and the whole year salary is just focused on tour de france so if you if you um crash out that's that's a lot of money gone gone and you um have to wait another year Mm. to recoup that yeah i've got empathy for both sides of the argument really because on one hand you know this tour was supposed to have started in denmark in copenhagen so you know they had to make i won't say a last minute change but it, you know it wasn't um you know they had once COVID was ravaging around europe you know they had to make a change to Brittany. and from my experience you know having covered the tour when has gone around Brittany, a lot of those roads are narrow and winding and you know they call it the yorkshire of france and it's 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 got that feeling about it and i'm not uh, if you look at the crashes which did happen in those first three days how many were attributed to um, say rider error or just being the first week of the tour and how many was the result of yeah the the course design uh, in that first in that third stage I should say you know the crash of Geraint Thomas and early on and then Primoz Rog Roglic uh, that wasn't a result of the course from what I could see so but then, you know, that crash with maybe 5K to go that took out Jack Hay, yeah, that was on a dangerous left-hand bend. So I don't think you can blame the organisers for all the crashes, perhaps part of it, but then that was kind of, that's the nature of the first week of the Tour de France. And then there was that, obviously, the opening the opening stage. I mean, the, the spectator was holding out a banner, mm. I think, with her grandparents' names on it. Um, mm. She was looking the wrong way, so that that wasn't a result of the course. You know, that was a silly spectator, and you know, the, the organisers talking about suing her, but I'm not sure. You know, she's probably the most wanted person in France at the moment. I would be hiding too. Um, mm. Are you going to? But are the organ? Who's going to sue the organisers then for creating some dangerous? Course design, they they want to sue her. It's almost like they're making her the scapegoat. I, I I kind of feel a little bit for her. I I think what she did was very silly, but mm-hmm. at the same time, don't hang her up and take no accountability for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and um, organisers were very quick to act to to sign write a vehicle and leave. You know, there's now a gendarme's vehicle in front of that the peloton or just ahead um basically just reminding or warning those fans who you know they're, they're stacked up down the side of the road each one uh wants to get in front of the the one behind for a better photo or a better look and stick out um again back 
when I was in that car that day, the driver told me the stage before um, the regulator's aerial had hit a, a fan in the head on the way around a corner because this guy was, you know, sticking his head out trying to see if the riders were coming. Bang, radio antenna straight in the face. So, oh. yeah, it's pretty wild stuff, um, especially yeah. like you guys have been there and seen just how the crowds are just thick and pushing closer and closer out onto the roadway. I don't know mm. what the answer really is long term. You know, you can't fence 200 kilometres of race, can you? No. But I think another thing to mention as well is we do not have a patron of the in the peloton today in today's uh, professional racing like we had in my day and in the 1980s and 70s. You would have uh, a patron, which is the person that we listen to, a leader. Uh, used to be Eddie Merckx, then it was Ben Ahino, and then later uh, Miguel Indurain. And we had circumstances at the 96 Tour de France very similar to what happened here. And uh, when you have a patron in the in the peloton that everyone listens to, he basically called a truce and we basically neutralised the race when it went through Holland and yeah. 96 Tour de France, that was. So another factor is we do not have a leader uh, that everyone looks up to. And there's no mm. one outspoken uh, like... Uh, 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 ben Ahino or Jan Ras was another patron, Miguel Indurain, and we we miss. I think the Tour de France, the the, the riders need a leader, and they, they don't have a leader. They're just a bunch of wild dogs racing for a to a, yeah for the livelihood. Interesting stuff, Pat. I guess um, Adam Hansen was maybe the closest modern day um, leader. The riders did sort of take note of him, didn't they? To a degree, would you say that? Yeah, absolutely. Adam Hansen wanted to be that patron. He's a really intelligent guy. Um, but not everyone listened to him because to become a, a patron or somebody who all the riders from all the teams would listen to, you'd have to have a really big palmarès and, uh, you know, help, you know, have won the Tour de France, maybe even. Uh, Peter Sagan could, could possibly be, be a patron, but um, um, no one's really, um, yes, yeah, sticking their hand up. But that's another reason because uh, I remember similar circumstances during my Tour de France's Miguel Indurain, who won the Tour de France five times and won everything else, he would come to the front and he would just tell everyone, we're going to slow down now and we're going to neutralise the race until things clear up. And that's what we did. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I felt a lot of the... It, it seemed to be this self-perpetuating thing, the crashes, because, yeah, you know, with just say if we go back to COVID... Um, if you're anxious and then you speak to another person who's anxious, it makes it makes the situation worse. It doesn't make it calmer. So if you're getting a crash and then the peloton doesn't know what's going on, it, it did seem that a lot of the riders at the front, even though uh, they had race radios, they didn't know who was involved. You know, perhaps if they knew that, say, on stage three, if they knew that Garain Thomas was involved or Roglic was involved later on, they would have slowed down. Uh, but there seemed to be a lack of communication as to who was involved and how many mm. um, at many points in those first three stages. You are listening to the Bicycling Australia podcast powered by Zwift, the fitness app that turns indoor riding into a game. Explore endless roads, race riders from all over the world, and boost your fitness with monthly training plans and structured workouts. Join the world's training playground where fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. You're right. Just mentioning Garen Thomas, uh, Anthony, the, um, those scenes of seeing him on the, sitting on the road, I heard a 
yell or yelp, and I think that was the time the race doctor popped his shoulder back into place on the bitumen. Is that what you guys, um, how you guys saw that? Yeah, I mean, Robbie McEwen said it on the SBS commentary. Um, he said that his his face was like white as a ghost mm. after he had popped it in, and then then you have to somehow gather yourself and then as Pat would probably attempt, then to start riding at 50 kilometres an hour. Apparently, Kwiatkowski, Michal Kwiatkowski said, yeah, they had to ride an average speed close to 50 kilometres an hour for 10 kilometres to get back on. Uh, I mean, really, that's probably not the ideal scenario, is it? Uh, again, it probably comes back down to comes back to what Pat was saying about having a patron because the, they didn't know. The, the riders at the front didn't know. Um, and so the, they had to ride at warp speed. And after you just had your shoulder pop back in, uh, it's probably the last thing you want to do. Pat, where, where do you think Enios um, sit now with, with what we've seen over the first um, three stages or four stages, but three real action-packed? stages with the GC? Um, one commentator said that they've gone from a four-pronged attack <laughs> to a chopstick because now they've only got <laughs> one, <laughs> one uh, bona fide leader, uh, you, you, you could say Richard Carapaz. Um, mm. So I, I guess this is the, uh, the benefit, though, of going into a tour with multiple leaders because you never know what may happen the, the first week is i mean year after year that there, there's never been a first week which isn't filled with danger just because of the the, the nerves mm. of the first week so um at least they've still got one leader i i would say you know um, you look at Roglic. i think he's still in the picture but you know he's carrying a, a few minutes deficit already to Tade Pogacar, so uh, I mean, he, he, he Pogacar won the tour by what a minute or something like that last year, and he, he's he's already lost two. So he's a, he, he, they will have to change their tactics, is what I'm saying. Yeah, um, such a shame about Richie Port losing that time. Um, of all the basically, you know, half the riders have gone down at some stage in the first four stages. Except Richie Port, who's um, <laughs> you know, against all odds, and he's staying upright. But the problem is, he's you know two or more minutes down on GC. But he is really in the form of his life, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. Look, Richie, three minutes thirty-four down. I think this weekend we'll see Richie in the front group. But um, there's been a few riders, the more experienced Tour de France riders who have done more than ten tours. They um, know that the first five days are absolutely chaos. Some choose to kind of ride down the back and not get into the pushing and shoving. So when you have a bit of experience at the tour, you sometimes um, sacrifice uh, a little bit of your general classification. And, um, you know, if you if Richie gets to the mountains physically in one piece, he'll be a really important asset for Carapaz. He'll really mm. be... What Richie did uh, years ago with Wigo and guide him to Tour de France victory, I think um, Richie's really going to be the golden uh, domestic for Carapaz. These two, we're going to see a lot of these two in the mountains this Saturday. Yeah, I should I should add that Thomas is he's even though you know he he crashed on stage three, he's he's still just a minute and seven seconds. 
behind. Yeah, it's not much, right? Yellow, which is not much. I mean, we've only we've only done four stages. We haven't done even the first time trial yet. So that, you're right. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't even write him off. Talking Richie back to Richie, he does seem a lot calmer and um, I don't know, he's just less flustered this year and, and even last year. Yeah, well, when I saw um, Richie ride uh, the Tour de France so spectacular to make a podium, I've, uh, I know Richie quite well and um, well, really well, and we we often talk or message, and uh, I kind of had the hunch the the form he's been in. One of the reasons is the lack of uh, media being at the Tour de France. Like the three of us here today, most we would be at the Tour de France, and so many journalists would normally be at the Tour de France. And Richie um, doesn't really work that well with journalists and there's a lot of pressure on Richie always to perform and now that there are a lack of media attention on Richie and also a lack of Australian journalists at the Tour de France he sort of got a lot of weight off his shoulders so um, that interaction Richie Port and the media because of COVID has been uh, more than halved and that has been a massive asset to his performance and um, because people who know Richie know that he's really sensitive and when journalists ask uh, a wrong question or question his form he actually takes that to bed with him and uh, that's obviously not a good thing so uh, my theory has always been Richie's spectacular top three uh, performance uh, had it not been for COVID he probably wouldn't have been on a podium mm, fascinating stuff Tan man what are your thoughts there yeah I'd, I'd agree with that um, yeah when you think about it if also if you think he's come after Cadell Evans so the question, as soon as Cadell retires, the, the, or even after, once you saw Cadell's um, form, if you like, waning and he was he was nearing retirement, everyone in Australia who's interested in cycling asked, oh, where's the next Cadell going to come from? And he was it. So that, that, that exacerbates the situation that Pat was talking about and, yeah, he Richie from my interviews that I've done with him, he he, he doesn't thrive on being an outright leader. Uh, he tends to he, he seems to work best with yeah where he's not in the limelight, where he's perhaps a, a co-leader or, or 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 one of four leaders as he is with um at Ineos Grenadiers this year. So that, and yeah, if he didn't do one interview at the Tour de France. He would probably be happy in a happier place. Mm. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Um, which just you know, we hope Richie's around for a few more seasons as a super domestique. But who would you guys, if you could name one rider each that might sort of step into those Cadell next, Richie next, you know, boots? Yeah, it's a tough one, hey. Jack Day. Um, well, you look that Lucas Hamilton. You know, I I think he's riding his first Tour de France this year. Uh, yes. He's only he, – he, he's a minute 42 down in his first tour. That's that's pretty good. I mean, there's still a long way to go. But uh, I, I was always thinking the next after Richie was Jack Haig because mm. his, his progression has been fast from uh, when I saw – you know, when I went and covered the Sun Tour a couple of years ago and he won that race – I felt I was witnessing a champion in the making and a potential Grand Tour 
podium place getter. And yeah, he, the form that he had shown leading up to the tour was excellent. And mm. I just that's why it was so disappointing to see him crash out. You want to. You know, as as Richie will attest, you know, look at the amount of bad luck he had. Well, there was bad luck and there was also perhaps some indecision. I remember, you know, I'm coming down one of the mountains, you know, uh, I think in the Alps. Um, so there, it's, yeah, there's so many factors that go into just finishing the race, let alone, let alone finishing in the top five or top three and, uh, you know, hope, obviously Jack Haig will get another chance, but yeah, you, you really just, as Cadell has said so many times, um, ad nauseum, you really just need to try and get through that first week as, as unscathed as possible and then think about GC aspirations after that. Would you agree there, Pat? Um, yeah, uh, my, I was going to say Lucas Hamilton as well. Yeah, so I already... I wrote his name down, actually, on my little piece of paper. Yeah, I nice. thought Lucas Hamilton would be... Um, um potential you know gc rider for this tour and could really surprise with top 20 and maybe a couple of days in the mountains where it really excels but being so young uh, the tour de france requires years of for most riders it requires uh, years of part- participating and, and then getting a result i mean uh, there's only one Portugal around and uh He's a very unique, um, mm. you know, especially at his age. But, yeah, Lucas Hamilton, for me, is a Australian star of the future. Yeah. Okay, Pat Yonker and Anthony Tan, we're going to wrap this up. Um, just as we go out, if we can uh, just finish off with, with one major takeout from each of you um, for the, of the race so far. Maybe, Tan, man, if you could start first and then we'll go out with Pat. It's just that the, the size of the tour and the – and the scale is, is unlike any other. That's why you've seen so much stress and anxiety and crashes. And, you know, and then you you get something like Cab winning last night and everyone forgets about what happened the first three days. So I guess it's just the tour will always, my, my, my final word was that the tour will always be the tour, will always be the, the biggest bike race and whether it's the best is debatable, but um that's just the nature of the beast yep it's been a crazy uh first week of racing and um yep cavendish um adding another stage win to his long list of wins uh, 31 wins uh, we're seeing a phenomenon in action and uh, may well be for the last time let's enjoy cavendish and let's uh, we're all rubbing our hands for this weekend once we hit the alpine stages and uh, we'll see the climbers in action and i think uh, everyone's really looking forward to uh, you know, carapaz Podjagar, rojlik and also the young frenchman david Godour. he's a really bit of an outsider so um, bring on the mountains and and thanks cavendish for all what you've done for the sport in all those years catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.